So if you can uh, open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts uh, chapter 2 uh, this morning. Um, you can, uh, it's in your worship guide as well, but uh, what we're doing um, uh, for, for a brief spell is that we are taking some time from our gospel ser- our sermon series in the Gospel of John and looking at um, really what is, should be called the DNA of Ironworks. What are the things that make up and define us as a church? And so today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version, and you can follow along on the wall behind me or in your worship guides or in your own Bibles. So let's give our careful attention to God's words, which are given in love for you so that you can know Jesus Christ and follow him. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that your spirit would be working in our hearts, that your spirit would be shaping us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Two spiritual giants in my own life are Francis and Edith Schaefer. After World War II, they left America to go to Europe in order to help serve and rebuild the church there. And, but they went there as really missionaries uh, to children. They, their ministry in Grove City, Pennsylvania, in St. Louis, where their ministry was a really a ministry to children, but they went to Europe to help rebuild the church. And but when they went to live in Switzerland, their college-age kids would be going to university, and what would happen is that they would come back home, and as they would come back home over the holidays, over breaks, and more, their their friends would come with them, and Francis would begin to answering questions and talking to them about faith and theology and philosophy and art and pretty much anything, but then over time, that's actually the ministry that the Schaefers became known for. People from across the world would travel to Switzerland to sit around their dinner table and talk till like 10 or 11 p.m. at night to ask questions about the Christian faith and to hear the like reasonable answers and to experience this love and their ministry became known as labri which is the French word for shelter and even though Francis died in 1984 there are still labri centers yes in Switzerland and Massachusetts Minnesota and all across the world but Edith wrote this in one of her books she wrote this that through their ministry of hospitality as, as they were ministering and, and their ministry was attractive, that people would come to them, but through their ministry of hospitality, they would discover that there would be cigarette holes in their drapes and not a single piece of their wedding china was still intact. 
this was all through, this was the, really the cost of their uh, ministry of hospitality. But this is a, a, just really a, 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 an illustration that helps us understand something that is actually pretty basic to the to the Christian faith, but and even to the church, that when we are following Jesus Christ, the church is actually meant to be attractive and compelling and provocative. And we see this all throughout Scripture, in fact. But as we begin to think about this within Scripture, I want to highlight something, that, that the church is not a new idea. The church existed in the Old Testament, albeit with a different name. And in the Old Testament, God's people are called Israel. And so we see God creating for himself a people. And this is beginning in, very clearly in Genesis 12. When God calls Abraham out of Ur, he says that your descendants are going to be my people, and I'm going to bless the world through your descendants. In fact, one way that we can think about the entirety of Scripture in terms of a unifying theme is that a unifying theme of Scripture is God saying that I will be your God and you will be my people. Even when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, he tells Israel in Exodus 19 that you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. And so as we come to Acts Two, this is not the birth of the church. This is, in fact, a continuation of the church ever since the very beginning of Scripture. But what makes this passage very important for us is that this is the first description of the church's life after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his people. That is what makes this passage so new and important for us. That this passage in so many ways is in fact a blueprint for our church life together. It's not that the church is a new idea. This, this passage is a blueprint for our life together as we see what it looks like for the church to be living out its, its life together we see a, what it looks like for the church to be spirit-filled and living out of that identity. And so John Stott writes this, that the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. And so this morning we want to explore what this looks like for the church to live out its spirit-filled life. And so as we go through this, let's first highlight the fact that this passage is a surprise to us. This passage is a surprise to us. So look at verse 47. Verse 47. They received favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Perhaps this surprises you. The church has favor with all people. That the church is attractive. So Anne Rice, she, uh, the novelist, she wrote that Christians in America have lost all credibility as people who know how to love. That's a striking statement. And there may be many reasons for that negative assessment 
Some may be true, some may be, be false. But the reality is this verse here that the church has favor with people is a surprise to us. And this sentiment that Anne Rice raises cannot be dismissed. And perhaps you know an organizational proverb that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So Ray Ortland in his book, The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ, and it's in a fantastic book. You should read it. He says this, that people will see Jesus in us as we build our churches into gospel cultures with the resources of gospel doctrine taking no shortcuts. You see, friends, the church is meant to be a culture that's full of the gospel. The church is meant to be full of the, the gospel. That is meant to really characterize our community and our culture together. And one of the things that we, are, we see in this passage is that God is a missionary God. Like At the very end of verse 47, it is God who is adding people to the church. God is the one who is being a missionary God. And his primary missionary motive, his, not motive, method, his, God's primary missionary method is through his people, the church. And once again, as I said earlier, this has always been the case. Think about Israel. Israel is called to be a kingdom of priests. And within the Old Testament, priests represented God to his people by expounding the law. And then priests also represented the people to God through the sacrificial system and prayers. So as a kingdom as a whole, the entire people of Israel has this priestly identity that seeks to make God known. But also consider a few examples from the Old Testament because there is this attractive magnetism to Israel. Consider Egypt. When Israel left Egypt during the Exodus, many Egyptians came with them. Later on, you see Ruth. Ruth leaves Moab to come to Israel. During Solomon's reign, you see the Queen of Sheba coming to Israel. We, so we see that attractive dynamic where that's this, there's this compelling dynamic where people are coming to Israel. But we also see God sending out missionaries to other peoples. Think about Jonah and think about Nahum. Many of the prophets were speaking to other nations. So we see this, this missionary posture and identity all throughout the Old Testament. And so for us today, when our non-Christians, friends, when our neighbors, when people encounter our church life, what are they being pointed to? Are they being pointed to the gospel? So Leslie Newbegin, and I know I'm not preaching from the gospel of John, but Leslie Newbegin was the one who said that we are called to live in such a way that promotes questions so that the gospel is the answer. It's the Apostle Paul who said, excuse me, it's the Apostle Peter who says that we should expect non-Christians to come and ask us questions for the reason that the hope resides within us. But the church, our lives as individual Christians, but also our church life together as a community is meant to be provocative. We're meant to raise questions through our life together because we are God's missionary method in this world. God is a missionary God, and he sends us into this world. Jesus was the one who said this, that, Father, as you send me, I send them into the world. 
And so the real, simple reality is that in order for us to provoke questions the, about the gospel, in order for us to, to raise that, our lives must first be transformed by the gospel itself. Our lives must be transformed by the love of Jesus. So Scott Sauls, author of A Gentle Answer, he puts it this way. If people experience more boundaries from our religion than they do welcome mats, more snubs than dinner invitations, more pressure than empathy, more confrontation than compassion, then Jesus is absent from or peripheral to and by no means central to our religion. See, friends, what's meant to be at the center of our life together is the Holy Spirit. This passage here in, in Acts 2, from 42 to 47, is the conclusion of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and Peter preaches and the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. The Holy Spirit is at the center of this community, and the Spirit-filled life is actually going to be cultivated in our lives in very ordinary mundane, and yes, perhaps even boring ways. This is what Reformed theologians will call the ordinary means of grace. But as we look at this text, and this is where let's move, look at verse 42, the early church is devoted to these things. They are devoted to them. That these saints were occupied and they were holding to these means of grace in order to become more like Jesus. So as we see this surprise that the church is being attractive, the second point for us this morning is to think about the gospel means of grace. The gospel means of grace. And let's, there's three of them. And there are three specific means of grace that we see here in this passage in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So right away, we see that it is the early church committing themselves to the apostolic teaching. And as Christians, this is something that we profess in a very basic and creedal way. So that word creedal, perhaps you're thinking now of the Apostles' Creed, which includes in line that I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. That, apost- that word apostolic recognizes that we are be- should be devoted, that we ought to be devoted to the apostolic teaching. So what is it that the apostles were teaching? And it's like, again, like this is in the context of Peter's entire sermon um, in the, this chapter. But what the apostles were teaching is, is the story of God. That here we have the story of God, and at the very center, the, the climax of the entire story is Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And Jesus' life, friends, Jesus' life and everything he accomplished is the most important point in the entirety of human history. That is what the apostles were teaching. And as you would look at scripture that in, within the Old Testament, everything within the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. So in the words of N.T. Wright, the climax of the story of God and Israel is Jesus Christ. It is the true story of the world. And so the apostles were teaching about Jesus. And so as we think about this for our church life as individuals, yes, but also as a community, Jesus needs to be at the very center of our life together. But let's be very clear about something. This is not mere information. This is not data transfer. In fact, if you look in the Gospels, 
even in the, the book of Acts, you'll see demons. And the demons have accurate theology that, that the demons will know, like, oh, you are the Holy One of Israel. But they are living in a state of rebellion against the authority of Jesus Christ. And so this devotion that we are called to have, that's being described for us by the, 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 this early church, this de devotion is a submissive devotion that we must live under the apostolic teaching where Jesus is at the very center of it all. So in other words, that we are called to live under the authority of Jesus Christ through the ministry of his word. And when we do that, Jesus is actually present in our lives. Because, friends, every single one of us needs God's grace and love. Our greatest need is to know God, and that is only possible through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, whom we know, whom is revealed to us through Scripture— that's the only way whom, that we know Jesus Christ. That as we know Jesus, to, as he's revealed to us, we need to put him at the center of our lives. And that's what it means for, for us to be devoted to the apostolic teaching. So that's the first means of grace. The second means of grace is seen in the breaking of the bread. See, here the church is being devoted to celebrating the sacraments, specifically the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a means through which Jesus actually gives us kingdom life to his people. So here's an analogy that perhaps some of you are hungry. But when, but when we are hungry, we will eat food, and that food is giving us nutrients to energize our physical bodies. But when we come to the Lord's table, when we drink this bread and drink this wine, like what Jesus is doing is that Jesus is nourishing our soul. It's just bread. It's just wine. That's all it is. It's nothing special. But Jesus is actually saying, I will work within your hearts as we look to him in faith. That's what God is doing to, as we come to the table. And so with, even within the background of this meal, it goes even further for the Israel, the, these people who are coming to faith. Because this sacrament is actually rooted in the Old Testament, and like in the Passover meal. It's reinterpreted through the death of Jesus Christ. That this meal is a picture of our redemption with God. It's a picture of our reconciliation with God and with one another. And God is promising to use it so that we would actually become more like him. Where we are a people of welcome, of rescue and redemption, and reconciliation and more. That's what God is doing within our lives through the breaking of the bread. But then the second means of grace is prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. So like just briefly, when you think about prayer within scripture, like perhaps clearly uh, the Psalms come right to your mind. And there's many different types and forms of prayer. Even within our own worship service, we have prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of the people, like intercessory prayer. But prayer actually does something very specific within our lives. That when we pray, we're taking our needs to God, we're taking our priorities to God. When we do that, we're asking God to reshape our priorities and our needs so that our hearts reflect his. And when we go to God in confession, and when we humble ourselves that way, we're actually submitting to him our pride is being chipped at and eroded so that we become more like him see that 
prayer actually makes us more like Jesus Christ. So here we have these three distinct means of grace of being devoted to the apostolic teaching, of being devoted to the breaking of the bread, of being devoted to prayer. And when we do these things, as we devote ourselves to this means of grace, something happens within our lives. It's not just our lives personally, individually, but us as a community. And this is our third point, that we are created into a distinctive community, a distinctive community. You see this, verse 42 and then verse 46. And they devoted themselves, yes, to the apostolic teaching, yes, to the breaking of the bread, yes, to the prayers, and to fellowship. And then you look at verse 46. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, the constant throughout all, all scripture is that God has always had a people. And God's people have always meant to be different. So he gave laws to Israel. Laws of, yes, morality. Laws of, of sacrifice and purity. Dietary laws, civil laws, much more. But then even you look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus' longest sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. It's an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And the church is meant to be different. The church is meant to be distinct. And friends, we're meant to be different, perhaps even noticed. In Jesus' own language, that we are a city on a hill, salt of the earth, Isaiah was the one who said, a light to the nations. See, the church is meant to be distinct. And one of the key distinctives of the church is actually seen in our fellowship with one another. When you think of fellowship within the church, it's not friendship. Yes, it is friendship, but that's not it. There's something deeper than that. And D.A. Carson commented that the church should be full of people who are naturally enemies with one another. That is what the church is meant to be. So look at Jesus' disciples. As there are 12 people, 12 men around Jesus, and he's teaching them. On one hand, you have Matthew, the tax collector, and then you have Simon, the zealot. One of them really wanted to kill the other person before they met Jesus. See, this word fellowship before us arises from this Greek word koinonia. It's meant to, what that word means, it means to be a part of or to share in. So within like the New Testament use of this word, we share in Christ's salvation. We share in the work of the Spirit. We share in the gifts and the obligations of the gospel. That we have a shared life together. That we as individuals actually are a part of one another. So that within our Christian life, there is no such thing as an individual Christian. There are only Christians. We are a part of one another. And so that it is then no wonder that there's this wonderful and remarkable and true amazing picture of what this fellowship looks like. There's this remarkable display of generosity that there was no need among them. That they would sell their possessions and give the proceeds to those who had need. So you see in Acts 4, you have Barnabas taking property of his and selling it, and that money would go to essentially the mercy fund of the church. 
and they would not have any need with them. See, that is this wonderful picture of generosity. But there's also another commitment here, that there's this commitment to a shared life together. That the church met regularly, not just on the Lord's Day, not just on Sunday, but the church met with one another day by day in the temple courts and in their own homes. In other words, the church met for large group and small groups. And so the rhythm of the, this apostolic church, the rhythm of this church that is being devoted to the apostolic teaching is that they're being devoted to fellowship with one another in their own homes. And friends, we can't miss this subtle lesson right here. The subtle lesson is that the Christian life is one of hospitality. This is not a call to be like the Schaefer's, where you might have holes in your drapes and all your uh, fine china would be broken. But I once read a statistic that the average American celebrates hospitality 11 times in a calendar year. So later on today, there's the Super Bowl. That's when pretty much all Americans will be participating in a non-pandemic year, would be celebrating in a time of hospitality. It could be movie, movie or game nights, it could be uh, birthday parties, progressive dinners, could, and more. But this is a call of hospitality for us to open up our homes to one another regularly. And this is a gospel rhythm. It's Romans, uh, Romans 15, 4, 15, 7, that let us welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. This is meant to be a rhythm of the gospel where we are welcoming people into our lives, befriending them, inviting people into our hearts, befriending people who don't look like you, and befriending people whom you would not have naturally befriended. So pull this together. This passage is a blueprint for the church. This passage is a description of what it looks like for the church to live out its Christ life together. This is a passage that describes what it's like for the church to be full of the Spirit and following Jesus together. This is this, is this amazing, beautiful truth that as we embrace this calling that God has given us, our lives will be changed, that we'll become more like Jesus Christ. And this is a journey that we're on together so that we as a church will become more beautiful and more attractive and more compelling because at the very center of our life is not any single one of us. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And that is a community that God has called us to be a part of so that we can become more like him. Let's pray.